by now you will have some sense of what helps you to come into your seated practice fully, full-heartedly with this infusion of alertness, relaxation, and kindness. Perhaps you like to start with a body scan, inviting relaxation. Perhaps you like to start with a few minutes of metta to set the tone. What helps you arrive fully? And then allowing your attention to be drawn to and rest with your home base or anchor. This invitation to connect with our embodied experience as a way to be here, be present. Whatever that experience is, feeling it, feeling it change. The arriving at the anchor is the concentrative element. The knowing what is happening at the anchor is mindfulness. The feeling it. Perhaps feeling some of the sensations that Greg described last night. Movement, pressure, tingling, hardness, softness, warmth. Whatever the experience is, don't have to look too hard. It's more like receiving it. Letting it show you, letting it arrive in awareness. So we have this anchor home base, and in mindfulness meditation, we don't hold on to it too tightly. What we are interested in is whatever experience is predominant in the moment. 
So we'll notice that other experiences arise. Perhaps a sensation in the body calls the attention. We can be with it, experiencing it, seeing how it changes, seeing what the relationship is, acceptance or some kind of reactivity. Maybe pleasant, maybe unpleasant. Same kind of awareness, attention, curiosity. And when it goes away or we become perhaps too reactive, we come back to our home base. Sometimes these will be very short investigations. Sometimes the attention is stronger and we might stay a bit longer. We talked also about emotions and mind states. These too may call our attention. Maybe the hindrances or afflictive mind states may be beautiful mind states, calm, compassion, concentration. Joy. If a mind state becomes predominant, we can investigate it, be with it. How does it feel in the body? Sometimes naming it is helpful. This is anger. This is sleepiness. This is joy. Joy feels like this. How does it feel in the body? We can add in how does it manifest in the mind. Mind tight, relaxed, flexible, inflexible. Lots of thoughts, not many thoughts. How does it change? What's the relationship? Is there acceptance and space for this arising to be as it is? Or is there reactivity? And again, when it goes away or we become disinterested or scattered, 
too reactive, we come back to the anchor, we let it go. Don't worry about figuring it out, there'll be another chance. And today I'll say a few words about thoughts as objects of awareness. In Buddhist understanding, a thought is a sense object, just like a sound or a sensation. It arises because of conditions and passes away when conditions change. We relate to thoughts like a sound. Usually when we become aware of thoughts is the moment that we wake up out of some kind of story. Might be a short one, might be a long one, but at some moment we wake up and know where we are. That moment is very powerful, and hopefully we can appreciate it. Sometimes we can note thinking to clarify that moment. There is judgment at that moment. It's good to notice that. What happens to the thought when we become aware? Does it go away? Does it peter out? Is it sticky? Does it call us? Come back. Come back. And for the purposes of meditation, we don't care at all what the content is. We want to understand thought, how we become entangled, and increase our capacity to become disentangled. Notice what happens to the thought. And then come back to the anchor. Each time that we make that movement of letting go of the entanglement of thought, we're strengthening our own freedom. We're strengthening our capacity to not be imprisoned by our own thoughts. Thoughts are not bad, they can be quite useful. 
So we don't look at them as bad or that we have to hit them with a baseball bat. No, it's a gentle curiosity, what happens. What is, how powerful is the thought when we're not aware? How powerful is the thought when we're aware? And the simplicity of letting go. The freedom of letting go. If there is a particularly sticky or repetitive thought, often this means that an emotion is present. For many people, that's how we first become aware of an emotion, is repetitive thinking, sticky, strong thinking. And if this is true, then it can be helpful to name the emotion and feel it in the body. Sometimes if a thought repeats a lot, we could give it its own note, like planning, worrying, remembering, fantasizing, to help sharpen our awareness of this thought pattern. Encourage us to emerge perhaps a little earlier from the story. we spend a lot of time trying to come up with a label, then it's better just to note thinking. So we're including all of our human life in our practice. Nothing is exiled or excluded. Connecting with the, you could say, the wholeness of our humanity, of our being human, our humanness. 
and learning right here with this heart, this body, this mind, just as it is, learning about suffering and learning about freedom. And this is the greatest kindness we can do for ourselves. And a great kindness that we do for others too.
This morning I'll share a few more thoughts about thinking. And uh, tonight you're going to get even more thoughts about thinking. So I think that we should start teaching about thinking in kindergarten. It's such a huge part of our lives. And um, for the most part, we don't understand thinking. And uh, it can lead to quite a bit of suffering for ourselves and for others. And so with meditation practice, we're, we're um, getting interested in what is thought? How does it manifest? How do we get entangled? And how can we um, become unentangled? The first thing that we should make really clear is that we're not trying to control our thoughts. We're not trying to control thinking. We're not trying to get rid of it. I know we say this probably every day. (laughs) Um, And we still try it, right? I know in my first retreat that that's what I thought I was supposed to do. I was supposed to uh, get rid of thinking. And um, it wasn't going very well. (laughs) There was a lot of thinking happening, and I went into one of my meetings with my teacher and I was telling her what a bad meditator I was because I was thinking so much and um, she said a sentence that 35 years later I still remember she said you can't control your thoughts I was like oh I can't I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing she's like no the moment that you have some choice is that waking up moment usually You know, certain thoughts, they're very sticky and you're back, you know, before any choice enters. But um, when that waking up moment happens, we have the potential to have some choice. And she said, and you can choose to let the thought go and come back to your breath. I'm like, I can do that. And um, it was such a relief and made the practice so much um, easier. So that waking up moment, I really mean it when I say we can appreciate it because it it, it is a moment of of power. And it's a moment where we can, it's not exactly like we consciously glance back, but but we can kind of see the thinking that was happening and we can um, begin to understand thought through that. So for example, we might wake up from a story and we look back, we don't, I don't want you to look back too much because that gets complicated, but you can kind of see back that we were lost in a story and that we completely believed it and that probably most of it was made up and possibly erroneous <laughs> and, um, and that that's how thought works when we're not aware. We make up entire worlds and then we act out of those worlds And um, those worlds are actually like our best guess at reality and um, and very kind of made up with minimal information usually. And um, so we can start to see that and know that. And that can start to give us a little bit of... What we want is some space. So we start to have a little bit of space around our thoughts. So when we first meditate, and then also at times when there's a lot going on, it's like thoughts, there's no space, right? They're just crammed in there one after another. And we're believing them, and, and it feels kind of tight and tangled. And, um, and then over time, it's like we can say, oh, okay, that's thinking. It's just thinking. 
and there's some space, and uh, that space is freedom, <laughs> a space of um, what we call non-identification. So when um, we identify with a thought, we're believing it, we're lost in it, uh, it's sticky. Um, and then when there's non-identification, it's like a sound. Or it might still be a long story, but we come out of it and it's like, oh, a story. Don't have to take it personally, don't have to believe it. I think if um, one of the main things that's been really helpful for me with meditation is to learn that I don't have to believe my thoughts. We will believe stuff that if somebody told us, we would never believe it. But because we think it, you know, and get lost and identified with it, we believe it. So kind of healthy, (laughs) kind of healthy, um, skepticism about our thoughts. It's very, very helpful. Sometimes in that waking up moment too, there'll be like a gap. There'll be a gap when we, when we notice we're thinking, then there'll be this gap that maybe there's no thought. You can notice that too. What, what does that feel like? So the goal isn't to try to control thoughts. The goal is that they don't control us. That's what we're moving towards. So the, for the purposes of meditation, um, as I said, all thoughts are equal. Like in the, in the, thought, in the hall here, it's, it's just thinking. Um, there's another way that all thoughts are not equal. Some thoughts are wholesome thoughts and some thoughts are unwholesome thoughts. And in my daily life, the kind of the cultivation that I've learned of being able to have a little bit of space around thinking gives me room to then sometimes say, well, is this worth thinking about? And sometimes it's like, yeah, I need to think about this. And sometimes it's like, no, this is a waste of my time. It's unwholesome. But for the purposes of meditation, we just create, they're all equal. We're interested in the nature of a thought, not the content. So we don't really care what the story is. <laughs> what we care is the stickiness or the space, the ability to, to, to get out of that world that we created, the ability not to believe it. Sometimes we'll see patterns of thought repeat a lot, as I said in the sitting, and often there's an emotion associated. I think one of the questions was about that. Oh, this is similar. Can you speak to noting retrospectively its usefulness, in particular with burdensome or negative mind states? So for the most part, trying to note something that's already passed is not so helpful. But with mind states, if uh, particularly um, afflictive or or, um, unwholesome, challenging mind state has arisen, I think in some ways this question is pointing towards noticing that it's probably still there when the... But you could say, you could notice that there was anger, but um, usually... We don't go back, but but noting it in the moment can be helpful. Oh, this is anger. It's actually said that it moves the um, 
attention from the amygdala, our kind of fight-flight area of the brain, to the frontal cortex, where we have a little bit of room to kind of um, reason or understand. So this is anger. This is um, fear. This is sense desire. I had a question about sense desire. Do you have suggestions for working with sense desire, thoughts of food throughout the day? (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny, but sometimes if you've been here for a while, you start to find that your thoughts become more and more about here and less and less about out there. And then, like, lunch is a big deal. (laughs) It's like major entertainment, (laughs) major sense stimulation in our sensory deprivation chamber here. (laughs) Um, So the thing is, if you notice a lot of thoughts about food, okay, repetitive thinking, ah, must be some kind of mind state or emotion here. Oh, desire, wanting. So we can name it. Oh, this is wanting. This is desire. And like all mind states, how do you experience that in the body? Is there kind of a leaning forward energy? Is there kind of tightness perhaps here. Perhaps there's a kind of bubbly energy sometimes with desire. It's kind of restless, right? So you can feel, how does it feel in the body? And then you've already noticed the thoughts, lots of the food thoughts. How does it change as you're with the desire? Does it get stronger? Does it go wax and wane? Does it disappear? Does it change into loneliness? So you can do that investigation for a while. And then if the mind starts getting all thinking, if you start thinking about your emotions, then you're getting scattered. We're actually wanting to be with the direct experience. So if you start thinking about the emotion or you start freaking out about it or whatever, then it's like, oh, not now. And you come back to the anchor If you're in the hall and let's say there's a strong emotion and um, and the anchor isn't quite doing it, <laughs> it doesn't always do it for strong emotions, maybe you want to stand up and feel your feet on the ground. Like do what you need to do if, if you're being overwhelmed by an emotion. Do what you need to do to... It's so valuable to know how to do that, to know how to um, stabilize. Maybe you look out the window for a while. Maybe that like is what helps you return. So over time, we we watch our thoughts, and over time we start to kind of see maybe we have our top ten, like, favorite stories, and, and we go over them, we go over them, we go over them, and then sometimes what starts to happen is we actually start to get a little bored of them. And that's always uh, useful. <laughs> I love this quote by Leonard Cohen, um, the famous singer who was a Zen monk for a long time. And he said, like, when you do lots of seishin and years of practice and you took over your, you know, your revenge fantasies, your, you know, sexual fantasies, your this, your that, your, you know, all your stories over and over again, he goes, finally they just bore themselves into non-existence. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you can notice if you start getting weary of your stories. That's actually a, a kind of a sign of letting go. It's different than hating them. It's more like, oh, I think I've done that a lot of times. <laughs> like maybe I don't have to do it again. There, see? Space. That's what we're trying to get is just some space. And then not to take them too personally. That's really helpful. I remember I went through a period here when I was on retreat and um, I was judging everybody. I know some of you have done it too. <laughs> like every, you know, mostly when I was walking, right, walking in, in between times, but I'd be looking at yogis and like, look at how she dresses, you know, she thinks she's pretty and like, Look at how he walks. Like, you're on retreat, you're supposed to walk quietly. And, you know, just on and on uh, stories about yogis. And I wasn't feeling very good about myself. (laughs) So I went into an interview. This was also like 30 years ago, and I still remember this interview. I went in and was complaining about what a bad meditator I was and what a bad person I was because I was thinking these thoughts, you know, they wouldn't stop. And... um, my teacher kind of listens patiently for a while, and then he just looks at me and he says, it's just a thought. I was like, oh. You know, like, like I had been so identified with these thoughts. And then, like after that, it just shifted. Be like, oh, it's a judging thought. And there's a huge difference between a judging thought when we're identified. When we're identified, it is a bit of a problem, can be a problem. You know, we might negatively vibe people or we might start a war or um, <laughs> when, when, the, when, the, when we're identifying it, it is, it can be problematic. But when we're not identifying, it's just a thought, like a sound. It just goes through the mind. It's not about me or who I am. It's just conditioning We start learning to not take our thoughts so personally. Not having them be a big story about who we are. Just conditioning, just arising and passing away. So the last thing I'm going to suggest for those of you who might um, want um, a little bit more simplicity in your practice... You can try an experiment, only if you can do this without getting tight around it. Um, Make a commitment to not voluntarily follow any thoughts. So we make the commitment when you wake up, when you have that wake-up moment, to not choose to go back into thinking. You know how it is, right? You wake up from a moment of thinking, you're like, oh, that was a really good thought. Like, huh, maybe I should think about that a little more. That's the most creative thought I've had in a long time. I've got to remember it, you know. um, What's it like to just keep it simple? It's a thought. Check out what happens when you become aware of it. Let it go. Come back to your anchor. Now, if you get tight when you do that, then it's not so helpful. But... For my first retreat here, for five months I had that commitment to never voluntarily follow a thought. I broke it once. I did think. I thought enough to function. You will still think enough to function. You don't have to like, be like neurotic about it, right? You, 
if I had to think about something to organize or something, I, I thought about it. But, but like sitting in the hall, walking meditation, other times it's like I just let them go. And it was so much simpler. And incidentally, it does increase concentration. <laughs> Again, it's not like they're bad and we're trying to beat them down. But, it, but you can try it. Try it for a period, try it for a day, try it for your retreat. Just a thought. Okay, did anybody get tight with that suggestion, just hearing it? Like, breathe. <laughs> We're really attached to thinking. Like, I mentioned that suggestion once in the hall, and everybody, I could feel the whole all freeze. Like, what? Because <laughs> we're so attached to thinking. You can just notice how attached you are to thinking. That's the learning. All right. Yeah, that was enough. You'll get more tonight. Um, so today for interviews, as part of his training, Yong is going to sit in on um, Andrea's um, interviews. And uh, mostly you can just ignore him. <laughs> is that right, Young? <laughs> I think he'd like it that way. Um, and it's for him to learn, so it's part of his training. Uh, if that um, just doesn't work for you, if you feel like you're sharing something that um, you don't want another person in the room or it just for whatever any reason doesn't work for you, he will not be offended if you just ask for a private interview and he'll step out. So please know that that's an option. And then different days he'll be sitting with different of us. And lastly, just a reminder about our fragrance-free policy here, that um, in order to make this a safe place for everybody, we ask people not to use scented products. For some people, it causes um, severe reactions. And um, I'd say it's part of our metta practice, and even part of kind of us uh, the subtler levels of exploring the precepts, non-harming. To, to take this commitment to heart and um, give that sense of, of safety to, to all the beings here. Well, mostly humans are the ones who care. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think spiders have chemical allergies, but who knows? <laughs> don't think about that too long. <laughs> <laughs> It's another beautiful day for practice. No thoughts that you should be hiking a mountain. It's just here. It's beautiful. Beautiful to be together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.